Good morning, church. Thank you, Seb and the musicians for uh, leading us so wonderfully in this time of music and song. You may want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 22 to 25 this morning. But uh, just as an introduction to the introduction, I want to talk to you about rugby. Those of you who know rugby will know that there are 15 players who are in the starting team. They wear the numbers 1 through 15 on their backs. And they're the ones who start, and most of the time they will stay on the field for about 60 minutes after 80 minutes. And then I know in the past they called the rest of the team who were sitting on the bench the reserves. But it's changed now because of psychology and because they didn't want these people to feel inferior. They're now called impact players. They're supposed to make an impact. So that's me today. I'm the impact player. Because the one with the right number on the back has fallen ill. So here we, here we are. If, uh, if my wife was here, she would have said, I'm actually not that professional. I have to be more humble than that even. And that I'm one of those guys who they play and they've used all the reserves. And they see that Frick de Prius still there in the stand. And they need someone. <laughs> Thanks, Ilsa. They need someone to step in. So here I am, First Peter chapter 2. From verse 22, let's read together. He, that is Jesus, committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So the title for today is The Good Solution to a Bad Situation. Have you ever been in a bad situation? I'm sure most of us will answer yes to that. I was trying to think of some of my bad situations, and then Nettie said, no, not allowed to use those. That's too severe. Uh, people will run out. So I thought up some imaginary situations of a bad situation that needed a good solution. So just imagine for a moment you're there in Durban uh, on the beach, and you walk into the water, and you're standing about waist deep in the water, and you want to just catch one good wave. And you take your time, and you read the waves, and you see this wave building up, and you position yourself. You walk a bit to the left and you go a bit deeper and you anticipate this wave building up. And at the right time, you catch this wave and you can feel the force of the wave lifting you up and taking you with it. And as you turn and you look, you see in front of you rocks. That's a bad situation that needs a good solution. Or maybe you're skydiving and you just completed an amazing amount of aerial moves and you're ready to you break away from the group and you do that and you're ready to open your parachute and when you open the parachute, there's just nothing. That's a bad situation that needs a good solution. Or maybe you're not that sporty, but you go to the game reserve and it's a big five game reserve and you're, uh, you're in your car and uh, you just sold your four by four and you bought a smaller car so you're not high enough to get the perfect picture of the panorama that you see in front of you. You look around, you don't see any dangerous animals, 
And you get out and you walk a little bit away from the car to get that perfect panoramic picture. picture. And you decide it's not far enough, you walk a little bit further, and you take the picture, and you're so happy, you scroll through your, your images, and you're happy, and as you turn around, between you and the car, there's a lion. That's a bad situation. That needs a good solution. So maybe the solution could be that as you turn on the wave and you see the rocks, you realize it's just a bad dream. Or as you open your parachute and nothing happens, you hear the director shout, cut, and you realize that you're just part of a movie. And you were not really high off the ground. Or as you turn and you see the lion, the solution may be that the lion doesn't have teeth, it is tame, and it's not hungry at all. But life is not like that, is it? Life has its problems. None of these examples compare at all to the real bad situation of a person who does not know Jesus. That is the point that Peter makes when he instructs us to trust God in bad situations. So Peter writes to the church and he explains in sufficient detail how Christians should live in a world that is cursed by sin. We followed Peter's advice recently as he instructed us on how to be good in a bad world. And then last time we heard Peter's instruction about how to be good at a bad job. And today we hear Peter summarize the good news about Jesus. Good news can only be seen as good if there's a possible bad present. So we'll answer four questions. I know it's not real Baptist tradition, four, four steps, four parts to this, but it'll be short, you'll see, because I didn't have enough time to prepare more. Four questions to discover a good solution to a bad situation. Here they are. What is the situation? Why is this situation bad? What is the solution? And what makes the solution good? So, in Baptist tradition, we'll start with point number one. What is the situation? We find a hint of that in 1 Peter 2, verse 22 and 23. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So if you paid attention to uh, the reading of those verses, you will notice that these verses speak about the amazing reaction of Jesus in his very unfair and unimaginably, unimaginably bad situation. Often, we show off good against bad, right? Often, we'll use something that someone says, and you say something that is better to show the bad. For example, if I finish preaching today and by tomorrow you send me five, between five and 20 links of uh, John Piper preaching on this passage, I'll know what you mean. Or if, uh, if you send me a recipe of, uh, for milk tart after you've eaten mine, it shows bad against the good. Or if I just explain to you that uh, I currently run uh, three times a week and I do about 30 minutes per week and you say, well, I'm on 90 minutes per day, every day. It shows the good that you're doing against the bad that I'm doing. So to show bad, uh, I, may, I may not mean or you may not mean to show the bad, but it's exactly 
what Peter's intention is. Peter's intention is to show how bad your situation is by showing the good in Jesus. And he shows your bad situation until you receive and understand and accept in your heart and live by the good solution that Jesus brings. So Jesus found himself in a really bad situation. Your worst situation in this life does not even register on the bad scale compared to that of Jesus. So for him to react in the right way is a measurement for us to see how much we fail. Most of the time, your situation is created by yourself, right? It's your sin, it's your deceit, it's your reviling, it's your threats in your suffering, it's your lack of trust in God, it's your straying away from God. So you may think, well, what is wrong with looking after myself, right? What is wrong with wanting a better life? What is wrong with standing up against unfair treatment? Those are very good questions. As long as your intentions are selfless and you desire to use the situation for the benefit of the kingdom of Jesus, nothing wrong. Then there's nothing wrong with standing against injustice. But who of us can really claim that when we do that, we are really busy with a selfless pursuit? Jesus can claim that. Jesus was and is selfless. So this is our situation. We mostly create our own bad in this situation. That's why Peter reminded us previously that even if you live in this bad world, you can be good if you become more like Jesus. Even if you work for a bad boss, if you're under the authority of a bad person, you can be good, you can be like Jesus more and more because he started the good work in you, he shall complete it. And if he's not busy with you somewhere, you are in real trouble. So why is the situation bad? 1 Peter 2 verse 24b helps us that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. I want us just to spend some time in understanding what sin is. Because often in the world that we live, a sin is whatever, when, whatever and whenever you disagree with me. My standard is my perfection and if you differ with me, if you are different to me, then we consider and treat that person as a sinner against us. What God means by that is to miss God's mark, to miss God's standard. It literally means to miss the mark, the word originally translated as sin. When, uh, when I was younger and more agile, uh, I was very good at darts. You know darts, the dartboard that you used to find in bars? We would play in our company and whenever our team needed a triple 20, I could hit it. I really was very good. And I emphasized the was. Was very good. Yes. <laughs> but if I would stand there and we needed a triple 20, and I would throw the bull, which is more. It's, more, it's valued more. That would not get the mark. It won't hit the mark. So if you think of God's standard, we may very easily replace our standard with, God, with God's standard. And even though in our minds and in the world's eyes it may be a good standard, it's still sin because it misses God's mark. So what is God's mark? God's mark is a, perfect, a perfectly righteous character. The mark is to be perfectly like Jesus. 
So when you stop saying, but this is my right, and when you stop reviling, and reviling means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insulting manner, when you stop issuing threats in your suffering, when you trust God completely, when you stop straying from God, then you will be in a good situation. Or you will realize that your bad situation is really not that bad. You see, your bad situations are not the unfairness in your life. Your bad situations in this life is not the bad government. It's not the bad drivers. It's not bad roads. It's not the bad weather. It's not bad people in your house. It's not the bad people at church. And for me, I had to realize it's not a fridge without milk dot. No, your bad situation is the person that you greet every morning in the mirror. Your bad situation is your sin. So the situation is bad because you live in sin instead of in Christ. Romans 5 explained the value of God's grace over sin. Paul gets to Romans 5, verse 20 to 21, where we read, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. So you see here, and also as we sang, the main purpose of the law, and as Auntie Judy explained to us, the main purpose of the law in the Old Testament is not a list of do's and don'ts. The main purpose of the law is to show our inability to do the do's and don't do the don'ts. So we need a good solution for this bad situation. And there is one. And that's our point number three. So what is the solution? We find in 1 Peter 2 verse 24, the last bit of that verse. By his wounds you have been healed. If you've read and understood the Gospels, then you will know that this is salvation talk. Jesus died on the cruel cross for your sins. I did a bit of a study in the last 24 hours of all the concepts of salvation that we find in the Bible. I want to list them to you and then we're going to pay attention to just the one that explains to us what this means. What does it mean that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? What does that mean? So salvation in the Bible includes the following topics. It includes election, grace, regeneration, repentance, faith, imputation, what I talked about, imputation. It also includes justification, atonement, propitiation, forgiveness, redemption, reconciliation, adoption, sanctification, eternal security, and glorification of the saints. So I want to quickly just give you a summary, about 10-minute summary on each one of these, and then we'll pay attention to imputation. No, I won't. We'll talk about imputation because that's in the context of the text. What you have to know is not all the detail of each one of these elements of salvation. What you have to know and believe and experience is 1 Peter 2 verse 24. Jesus himself bore your sins in his body on the tree that you might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You have to know and believe that. So Jesus taking your sins on himself on the cross as he died, that is called imputation. 
So to impute means to charge it to someone else's account. Our theological word imputation or to impute comes from a Latin word. And it refers to recording a transaction in a ledger. So it's accounting. Charging something to that account. That's imputation. And the Bible uses that accounting image for salvation in three ways. First, the first way that it uses the word imputation or the concept is Adam's sin was charged or imputed to everyone in the human race. God then counts you and me guilty and deserving of Adam's punishment because Adam's sin was charged to your account. You may may think like I did for much of my younger years. That's not fair. So, So Adam made the mistake and I carry the consequences. It should be on Adam's account, not mine. And I do hope, as I said a number of times from this pulpit, that there's a media room in heaven where we can look at what happened, and I think then we'll see that between the creation of Adam and Eve and uh, them walking with the Lord and living with the Lord until the time where this happened, where this imputation of the account of sin happened, wasn't a few minutes or a few hours. It'll take you literally 20 minutes to read through that portion of the Bible. I think it, it took a while. It would have taken me much quicker to sin. It probably would have taken you much quicker to sin than Adam did. So let's not fool ourselves by saying, well, that's Adam's problem. No, it's our problem. And Paul writes to us to confirm that in Romans 5, verse 18 and 19. He says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The second way that the Bible refers to the issue of imputation, our sins and guilt were imputed to Christ on the cross. God thought of our sin as belonging to Christ, and Christ paid for it by his death in full. The Old Testament sacrifices anticipated Christ doing exactly that. The sins of the person bringing the offering in the Old Testament were transferred to the sacrificial animal that temporarily paid for those sins by that animal's death. And God, according to his own rules, could then forgive the sinner who brought the offering. Isaiah spoke in Isaiah 53 verse 6 of Christ's sacrifice that that would be the permanent payment for our sins. The Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And Paul writes of this in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 where he says, For our sake, Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. And the third way that the Bible speaks of this issue of imputation It says that Christ's righteousness is imputed to the believer's account. According to Romans 3 verse 10, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. So in God's eyes, all Christians are unrighteous, but God imputes Christ's Christ's righteousness to every believer's account. And in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, Paul adds this third aspect of imputation to the second one that he mentioned to us. He says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God now thinks of Christ's righteousness as if it is yours and mine. Having credited us with Christ's righteousness, God can now, according to his rules, pardon us and call us righteous. Rick Cornish writes, Our new status in God's eyes is not based on any actual condition of righteousness in us, but on Christ's imputed righteousness that God considers ours. How amazing is that? Because imputation does not infuse us with righteousness, our internal character is unchanged by imputation itself. Imputation refers only to God's crediting Christ's righteousness to our account, not our acquired, acquired righteousness or acquiring righteousness in our nature. So we still sit with the problems and challenges in this life where we actively have to fight our sin, and God helps us with that. We will only be equal to our account once we leave this life. And that righteous character then is developed over time through spiritual growth resulting from the sanctification process. God does not take into account any human effort or merit when imputing Christ's righteousness to us. We can thank God that he doesn't look at our lives and say, there's a deserving one. That one is good enough. That one should get the account of Christ. Only looks at Christ's righteousness and places that value onto your account. Therefore, the entire salvation process is based on God's love and not on our actions. So praise God for his mercy to give us the solution for a bad situation. Because we deserve all the bad for that bad situation. God gave his son. God placed your sin and my sin in the empty sin account of Jesus. He filled up that account. And then God punished Jesus for the full price of that account, the full value of that account. So that you and I may have eternal life. What an amazing God with an amazingly good solution to a bad situation. So lastly then, what makes the solution good? First Peter 2 verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The solution is only good if verse 25 applies to you personally. I read it again. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. If your straying from God is in the past tense, then this applies to you. If you have indeed returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls, then the good solution is good for you. Ephesians 1 verse 4 to 6 says the following, Even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glory, glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
like any solution to a bad situation, it must apply to you. Otherwise, it becomes meaningless. Let's say, for example, you go on a, a cruise on a, a ship, and for some reason you fall overboard, but fortunately someone sees you, and uh, they throw a life raft at you. The life raft will not be a good solution for a bad situation if you say, no thanks, this kind of life raft is not for me. I want to swim a bit longer because I'm young and healthy and I enjoy the exercise. I have moved beyond the life raft principle in my philosophical life. Life rafts are so 1980s. If you refuse to climb in, you have refused the solution to a bad situation. Unless you have the solution in your possession, the solution cannot be good for you. If there is a cure for cancer in Canada, and you have cancer, but you are unable to get to Canada with the cure, or you are unable to bring the cure to you, then that good solution to a bad situation is useless to you. Four points, done. Can you believe it? But there's a conclusion. And it may be dangerous if you think we're done. Is your situation bad? Yes, it is. If I would invite you to a party at my house, and I say, we're going to have fun, we're going to benefit, it's going to be good for all of us, there'll be some challenges, because any good party must have some challenges. And, uh, but I have a very important announcement to make. At the end of the party, you're all going to die. Do you think that's a good, good situation? No, bad situation. That's life. Life guarantees challenges. Life gives us some good times. Life gives us benefits. But at the end of this life, you die. Guaranteed. So the worst situation in this life is nothing compared to the situation you will find yourself in without Jesus when this life ends for you. This life is a bad situation because of how it will end. Life ends in death. Do you own the good solution? Will you call on Jesus to be the solution for you? What will you answer if asked? Why should you be allowed into heaven? If you don't know the answer, and you can't answer it honestly, then call on Jesus now. Don't waste time. Don't use the normal excuses. Now is the time. Ask Jesus to be the solution to your bad situation. And those of you who can't say amen to knowing Jesus, my challenge to you and me is how are you presenting him? When are you presenting him? When you live your life through the troubles of this life, expecting to meet your end at some point? Are you going with the crowds? Are you showing your hopelessness? Are you showing that you're not coping with life? If you do, then you forget that you have the good solution 
to a bad situation? Or are you too busy trying to find your own solution to your petty bad situations? Let's pray. Father, as we think about the words that Peter wrote, inspired by God himself, we have to rethink our own lives as we live this life, thinking that our troubles are insurmountable, that not knowing where the next month's money will come from is, is the main problem, thinking that the relationship that is not what it should be with a friend is insurmountable. And it's as if our lives come to an end when the troubles of this life hit us. But Lord, most importantly, is the trouble of death. So we pray that you will not allow anyone to leave here today without being able to answer in the positive about knowing Jesus. Provide, Lord, to all of us the good solution to a bad situation. Amen.